It's not often that the lore of the classes in World of Warcraft get much attention. While this problem was rectified somewhat in Legion with the introduction of the Class Hall Order campaign for each playable class, even those were more of a reflection of where each organization behind the class types was at as of the Broken Shores scenario, and less about the history and origins involved. Going back even further, players didn't really see anything about the lore of their classes since max level in Vanilla WoW, with class quest chains that were meant to give players new spells, equipment, or even mounts. We've done an episode on one such quest chain, with the Warlock Dreadsteed mount. But, once again, there are storytelling limits to each of these quests, which once more leaves a hanging question. What about the classes? What are their individual origins? Where have they been? Where are they going? This is a bit of a big and loaded question, one that, with the right motivation, could probably be a singular podcast topic with its own set of episodes. But it's a big, wide world of Warcraft, and if you've learned anything from listening to Essence of Azeroth, I hope it's that any one lore question typically requires answering about four or five others. This is why today on Essence of Azeroth, we're going to delve into our first, technically second, but I'm going to call first, class primer episode all about the druids. Keepers of the Emerald Dream, centered fully on the life sphere of the Cosmic Order chart, and potentially the first class to exist. An episode on druids was actually one of the first requests I ever received, so I am happy to now delve into the mystery of the sons and daughters of Cenarius and talk about the origins of the druidic teachings, some splinter groups, their abilities, and some important in-game lore moments. This will also give us a chance to be salty about the fact that for the longest time, a druid was required in your party to attempt getting the rare and much sought after Ravenlord mount during Burning Crusade, a mount that eludes me to this day. <sighs> this is Essence of Azeroth. Today's episode is brought to you by the patronage of our subscribers, including Brooke, Otto, Melissa, Bergen, and Kelly. Their support keeps the RGB LED light strips on and the cat food coming, so consider giving to the podcast over on our Patreon page. Patreon? Patreon? I keep saying it different each week. I've just realized this now. Uh, at our Patreon page, I'm going to say it again, patreon.com forward slash essence of Azeroth, where you'll get access to our Discord, an invite to our guild on Asgalore for the Horde, and maybe one day for a cross-faction promotion. I'm still hoping. Hoping they add it. And my undying devotion for supporting my passion project to bring WoW lore to one and all. And please, consider giving us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, send me a message showing your review, and I will read it out on the next episode of the show. Thanks again.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Say, friend, it looks like you might want to read a World of Warcraft book or two, but who has the time for actual literal reading? Instead, why not try a free 30-day trial of Audible.com and get an audiobook that's yours to keep forever, even if you don't subscribe after the trial. There's never been a better time to listen to any of the great Warcraft books, so head over to audibletrial.com forward slash murloclover. That's M-U-R-L-O-C-L-O-V-E-R. And help support the podcast today in the easiest of ways. That's audible.com forward slash murloclover. And now, on with the show. The following content does not necessarily reflect or represent the views of Kalimdor Public Radio. But the checks did clear, and time is money, friends, so listener discretion is advised. And, uh, please don't sue. It's a balmy 110 degrees here in Durathar at the top of the hour, and you're back with the Tome of Clarity with me, Gordoth, coming to you live from deep within Ragefire Chasm underneath of Orgrimmar, because they chased me out of the Valley of Strength afraid of the power of my voice, and silenced me, forcing me down, down, down to this abandoned fire pit I now call home. And why? All because a few so-called druids got uncomfortable about the truth bombs that they couldn't handle. I was going to continue our ongoing discussion about the false flag operation, now known as Angrathar, that our so-called Horde Council continues to hide to this day. And why wouldn't they? These new leaders of our society are two former humans, that coward thrall, some zappy boy troll, and some kind of fox thing with a llama. They're nothing but conspirators of the Lich King, buried deep in our city and meant to bring ruin. But instead, we've got these druids pulling the wool over all our eyes. It's gone on for too long, and only the Tome of Clarity can bring light into the darkness. Tell me, dear friend. Have you ever seen a cow turn into a cat? Or a bear? Or a, I don't know, a tree? I guess it's a tree. Well, I haven't. And yet we make space here in Orgrimmar, in my former recording studio, no less, for a bunch of tree-loving hippie scum who won't shut up about some emerald tree and spend all day sleeping. Well, I'm not having it. If the Emerald Dream is real and is some untapped, pristine version of Azeroth, then why aren't we using it for valuable resources? Why aren't we sending those annoying little goblins in with their shredders and their tricycles and whatnot, burn it to the ground, and reap the rewards? Because the Horde is afraid. Afraid to win the war. The Alliance is coming again, dear friends. Oh, yes. 
We'll see. And we've let the devil in through the back door. The cat's door. Because these freaks think they can turn into cats. What's next, frogs? Do they think they're frogs, too? Alas, we'll have to pick it back up tomorrow. I have to go now, as there appears to be a group of five so-called adventurers here to talk to me about my dark shamanism. Stay strong, friends, and remember the Tome of Clarity will always be there for you. Oh, and uh, stay tuned for the Terran Funk Power Hour next. What if I told you that the story of the druids begins with the titans? Yes, it's true. I'm sorry. I realized that last week I said this was going to be the case for most lore stories with any roots in the beginnings of Warcraft canon. But for the druids, it is especially true. As in order to talk about everyone's favorite not quite a warrior, not quite a rogue, not quite a mage class, we need to talk about the wild gods the Titans, and more specifically, the true demigods of Azeroth, and maybe the universe? While we have talked about the cosmic alignment chart on multiple episodes at this point, it's always been within the framework of Azeroth the planet, ignoring the larger universe and multiverse at play within World of Warcraft. Players have gotten a few glimpses beyond the veil over the years, whether it's traveling to Draenor and the Outlands, the Void Territories of the Void Elves, playing as demon hunters in their starting area of Mardoom, the former demon prison both created and destroyed by Sargeras, or other stranger places such as Antorus, Elunaria, and more. The point being, there is a lot more to this galaxy than just Azeroth, and sometimes it's easy to forget that. Not only because a majority of the game is centered on Azeroth, but because in a game that is squarely set on high fantasy with a touch of steampunk, the explorations of the wider universe have always felt... alien? Like a different game. I still remember being really confused with the introduction of the Draenei, and being like, so, space goats, huh? Okay. But I think that's also the point. The wider universe in WoW's canon is full of things that are vastly different than how the world of Azeroth works. However, there are some commonalities of which were confirmed in the Shadowlands, and that's that the overall demigods of the cosmos. This includes Elune, the goddess of the moon, object of worship for the night elves, and demigod and, I guess, capital G god of the life portion of the cosmic chart. Similar to how the Void Lords are seated in the dark, across from the Naru of the light, and so on. Seriously, I'm going to make all of you memorize this chart. If I accomplish one thing by the end of this podcast uh, as a series, you will all have this chart memorized. It's on the next test. And as we learned in our adventures through Ardenweald, Elune has a sister, the Winter Queen, who is squarely positioned as the demigod of death diametrically opposed from the life section of this chart. Working together, and sometimes against one another, these sisters are part of the great balance and bring the power of life upon all worlds, and not just Azeroth. 
Elune remains to be a bit of a mystery in the WoW mythos, as she slash they don't really have an origin story other than that they are the thing that the likes of the Wild Gods and the Titans all kind of either worship or acknowledge. This is to say that Elune is as close to a true capital G god as we've got in the canon, working in mysterious ways and still being somewhat unrevealed. And the demigods, or wild gods of the universe, clearly answer to her, as evidenced by the wild god Goldrin, the great wolf and future source of the Order of the Pack, and later the Worgen, who was said to be present at one Azeroth from the very first steps of the first animals, being punished by Elune for being unable to control his rage. Which brings us to the formation of Azeroth's life, the actual life on the planet. While the Titans were creating new life in their facilities, the plant and animal life came from Elune's wild gods, all taking the forms of major beasts that would later create new species of plant and animal in their own likeness. Goldrin and the wolves, Kragwa and the Gorlocks slash Murlocks, Ursok and the Furbolgs, Agamagmon and the Quillbor, Cenarius and the Centaurs, so forth and so forth. These wild gods also exist in different forms, as does Elune, across all primitive cultures and their origins. The Yongal, which were a protoform of the Tauren but looked more like yaks and were much angrier, believed in the Earth Mother, which shares origin with the worship of the moon by the dark trolls who later become the night elves, and so on. If you need a real-world comparison, it's similar to the idea in faith communities of universalism, or the idea that despite the differences in religions found across time on our planet, they all share similar traits and are essentially from the same root. Just different branches. Now, Elune could very well be her own episode detailing the creation of the Wild Gods, the War of the Ancients, the corruption of the dream, and Elune's measures to fight that, and everything up to Shadowlands and Tyrande becoming the Night Warrior. But as we said at the top of the show, that's a whole other kettle of fish. For now, Elune's role in the story of the Druid starts with Malorn, the wild god known as the White One, the gigantic white stag, and originally the Ancient One associated with the Aparo, or the Torrent. The Torrent tell of a myth called the White Stag and the Moon, in which a great white deer is hunted by the Tauren, but makes a deal with the goddess of the moon for assistance, falling in love with the moon and becoming her consort, lighting the skies with stars and constellations. The myth has truth in it, as Malorn and Elun birthed a child, Cenarius, lord of the forest and patron demigod of the Druids. Featuring massive antlers, a human upper body, and the lower body of a horse, Cenarius was birthed into life and taken into the care of Isera, the aspect of life from the green dragonflight. While the connection between dragon and wild god here isn't fully explained, it was said that Cenarius' birth caused a ripple through the Emerald Dream, piquing Isera's interest and bringing her to teach him the ways of the dream and act as a foster mother as Elune had to give up Cenarius as she could never be in the mortal world directly. As a pit stop, here we describe the Emerald Dream as the ley lines between realities of life and death. 
if we're looking at the cosmic order chart, the dream is literally the arteries that connect these two ends of the chart, existing as both the afterlife and as a nebulous cradle of creation. Of course, the dream also has literal and physical areas, many of which players have been inside. At one point, a plan for a major expansion was literally going to be the entirety of the Emerald Dream, with players supposedly being charged with heading into this new wilderness that was meant to be a representation of what Azeroth would look like if it had never been cultivated by the various species, leaving players to find the source of the Emerald Nightmare infestation and create new cities and layouts and expansions as they went through the entirety of the zones. Once again, rumor has always been that this was going to introduce player housing and some shifting zone customization that would change things based on whether Horde or Alliance controlled an area. It's an idea I would love to see brought to life down the line, even if a lot of these ideas were eventually broken out into their own pieces of content, such as the Warlords of Draenor Garrison and the Emerald Dream Class Hall headquarters from Legion for the Druids. And so, Cenarius becomes the physical patron god of life on Azeroth. Having a multitude of children in the form of the Dryads, the Keepers of the Grove, who were bastard children descending from him, becoming centaurs, and more. All the while, apparently during the Mogu Empire period, to give you some kind of reference, Cenarius lived in the plains of central Kalimdor with the aforementioned Yongol. At the time, though, the Night Elves were developing and had developed around the Well of Eternity, forming a relationship with Cenarius as he claimed a kinship with them that was never fully explained. But it probably has to do with the powers of Elune transforming these early dark trolls into the Night Elves, much how he was born of the power of the moon. Cenarius did his best to cultivate a love of the wilds and life in the Night Elves, including some that would come to stay in the Dream and eventually become Guardian Ancients, the ancient tree folk seen across Azeroth and sometimes in other places too. They were also in Draenor and in Outland. However, Cenarius was fighting an ideological war, as Night Elf culture was governed by a split in two things, worship of the moon and, becoming more and more prevalent and a threat to nature, worship of the arcane. The power of the Well of Eternity brought forth the first Night Elf Magi, and with it came the growth of cities, some industrialization, and the loss of way of life that Cenarius was trying so hard to instill in this young race. This addiction to the powers of the Well led Night Elves as a whole to begin to lose their connection to nature, sending Cenarius out from these lands and back into the forest, to the point where Cenarius's mere existence became a myth. It wouldn't be until Malfurion's Stormrage came into being that Cenarius and his cause would be revitalized, and he would become the first druid. Stormrage is a complicated figure in WoW lore because he's one part a larger-than-life George Washington-type figure, but also someone that time and again has appeared in the adventurer's narrative as a literal being of great power. If I had to make a comparison from Malfurion to real-world religion, I guess he'd be considered St. Paul to Cenarius' Jesus, a converted follower who would become the Druidism's biggest mouthpiece. Malfurion comes from the lands of the Broken Isles and the night elf lands of Val Shara, 
which before the Sundering was essentially the ancient forest of central Kalimdor. This is also where Rooksgard and Bradenbrook Hold were located, with Malfurion growing up in nearby Suramar, along with his twin brother Illidan and their childhood friend Tyrande Whisperwind. All three would come to represent the three pieces of Night Elf culture, the Arcane, the Worship of the Moon, and Druidism. They would also come across the legends of Cenarius and set out on an adventure to see if the myth was true and if the long-forgotten demigod was even real. And they did, with Cenarius heartened to find night elves who hadn't forgotten him and offered to teach the ways of druidism and the forest to the three. Only Malfurion would continue on, as Illidan was, well, bad at the magics of druidism. He got mad about it and basically just kind of like stomped off and Tyrande at this point was already in the Sisterhood of Elune. However, Malfurion took to the powers of Druidism quickly, and would soon become the first mortal Druid. From here, the Druid class proliferates in different ways. The Tauren were also students of Cenarius, but would later learn from the Night Elves, of which the two races shared many commonalities. And, in fact, Tauren and Night Elf Druids basically called a truce during the heat of any and all Horde and Alliance conflicts, choosing to instead serve the Cenarian Circle in Moonglade and go wherever they were needed. These days in the game, the restrictions on who can be a Druid is a bit more loose than they once were, as initially the Druid class was limited to the Night Elves and the Tauren. This has expanded in the years to include both the Darkspear and Zandalari Trolls, the High Mountain Tauren, the Worgen, and Kul Tirans. Though, based on the lore, just about any race can be a druid, with there even being a Tortolan and a Murloc druid. Side note, for the love of god, let me play as a Murloc druid. What is more interesting, however, is the diversity in canon for druids, in regards to the association, but also specialization. Player character druids are usually referred to as belonging to the druids of the wild, in that they can transform into a variety of forms, including bear, cat, ancient, and moonkin. However, we've also seen the druid of the fang, the pack, the flame, the harvest witches, the thorn speakers, the crimson ring, and more. You see this play out in regards to enemies quite a bit. For instance, the druids found in the Wailing Caverns belong to the druids of the fang, and almost all of the Feral Worgen found in Classic WoW were either former druids of the pack now trapped in Worgen form, or were part of the original Worgen released from the Emerald Dream by Arugal, former Kirintor Magus and owner of Shadowfang Keep. The Worgen connections are interesting, and we'll take a few minutes to talk about them, especially as it comes to us as a request from one of our patrons on Discord. Hi! All of this begins with the Druid of the Pack, or Pack Form as it was called, a forbidden transformation for druids in which they became a wolf, originally created from the teaching and spirits of the great wolf wild god Goldrin, later punished by Elune for not obeying the natural order of things, and struck down. However, his power would continue on after two night elves constructed the Scythe of Elune, an artifact made by attaching one of Goldrin's fangs to the Staff of Elune, in hopes of using its power to master the pack form and help push back the satyr invasion from the shores of Kalimdor. 
However, this only led to the spreading of the Worgen Curse, as the Night Elves who used the scythe to transform could not control it, and then spread the curse as a plague through their bites, an analog to the typical werewolf myth. Goldrin's story would continue on a path of redemption, helping during the War of the Ancients, but later would be quelled during the War of the Seder, with Goldrin's spirit locked away with the rest of the newfound worgen deep within the Emerald Dream by Malfurion. It wouldn't be until the Scourge Plague running rampant in the Eastern Kingdoms that the worgen would return. With Lordaeron now overran, Gilneas was next on the chopping block for the Scourge invasion. As a last-ditch effort, Arugal attempted to convince King Greymane that the only way to save the kingdom was to use the newly found Scythe of Alun, unearthed, and summon the great wolves of legend to defend Gilneas. However, all this did was open a portal to the Emerald Dream, and the Worgen locked away after the War of the Satyr were released, bringing forth Goldrin's spirit, the Alpha Prime, and the Worgen. And they did help fend off the Scourge, However, as seen in the Worgen starting area, it also led to Gilneans being infected with the plague, and Gilneas being locked away to contain the curse. Worgen eventually becoming druids is an interesting inversion, because one of the groups of druids mentioned before was the Weather Witches, which were early Gilnean witches with the power to control crops and the weather, used to secure bountiful returns in farming. The lore suggests that these weather witches weren't full-fledged druids, but merely had learned to harness the lower-level powers found in the druid class, almost by accident. Uh, when, when compared later to real druids, it's literally just like, oh, you kind of just like were turning some knobs and figured out how to do it. Cool. So when Kaltiris split from Gilneas after the First War, it would be these weather witches who would bring their knowledge of this low-level druidism and in combination with the drust would lead to the formation of the thorn speakers and the Kul'tiran druids. This curse is also why the worgens were brought into the fold of the alliance as the night elves saw their past sins coming back to haunt them and affecting a new generation of people. The curse had managed to spread far and wide, as the Scythe of Alun has been on multiple journeys and held by numerous people at this point, spreading the Worgen Plague wherever it has been, such as Duskwood. Currently it is in the hands of the Druid player character, who is the leader of the Scenarian Circle, as seen in Legion, but for all we know that thing will end up in the hands of somebody else yet again. Fun fact, Goldrin's spirit would later inhabit the soul of King Varian Wren and bring about an understanding of what it meant to calm the fury of blood and battle, which would lead to Goldrin coming back into the fold of the Scenarian Circle, which includes helping the daughter of King Greymane learn about the history of the Worgen people in battle for Azeroth. And all of that is to say that the Druid class lore is incredibly deep and varied, even if that isn't fully represented in gameplay. In fact, the player character Druid is a bit of a controversy these days, for the simple fact that in a world where a lot of classes have seen full revamps over the years, now 18 of those, the Druid class has largely remained as a half-measure for tanking, healing, and DPS, while never fully being the best at anything. Now, I'm sure Druid players will fight me on that. Hi, Andrew. Especially when the positives of playing Druid are incredibly strong. For one, their button rotations are simple, strong, and to the point. I recently got a druid to max level and was shocked to find just how few buttons I had as a boomkin in my rotation. There were only really like six buttons. However, even dating back to vanilla WoW, 
The Druid has always been a bit of a novelty and is considered the alternative when it comes to tanking, healing, and DPS. Relying on its armor stats to come from gear and not abilities, Druid tanks have a lot of health and survivability, but sometimes struggle to hold aggro as easily as a Death Knight or Paladin who can throw something out like Consecration or Death and Decay, and boom, you've got aggro on everything. Likewise, Druid healing is extremely good at healing large groups, but suffers at healing quickly on fewer targets. I had an arena partner once describe a fighting a druid tank as akin to punching a house down with your bare hands. And as from my own experience healing dungeons and a couple of raids with my druid, like I actually really had trouble keeping people up in five mans because the way I like to heal is to like very much overheal people and kind of predictably heal. As you know, you can tell, I used to be a discipline priest. And druids just can't really do that without having to blow a bunch of cooldowns in order to achieve what other classes can easily do. It's actually my hope that we'll see the druids get a revamp at some point that better reflects the various aspects seen in lore, or at least options for new forms. Not that I'm trying to go all Fandral stag home on you, but I would love to be able to temporarily channel the Mark of the Flame in more than just using a transmog appearance. Or turn into a giant snake. I'm not afraid of options. The inclusion of druids in the game almost didn't happen. As originally, vanilla WoW designers were looking at using the Runemaster class instead. And if you're wondering what a Runemaster is, look no further than the Warcraft role-playing game tabletop RPG books, specifically 2004's Magic and Mayhem, which features a Tauren Runemaster on the cover. These monk-like brawlers fought by etching tattoo runes on their body, corresponding to a different element of the earth, such as water, fire, or rock. They'd also make hand signs in order to activate these runes, just in case you didn't think this was already like airbendery or anime enough. Rune magic is derived from the Titans, as seen on the Iron Rune Dwarves found in Northrend, and in many ways was supposed to play a bit like a mage but as a melee fighter. Using the power of ley lines, rune masters could activate their runes to do things like increase armor, speed, or gained effects like wind fury. In the end, the idea was scrapped because it was too much like other ideas the team had for the future, like the Death Knights and Monks. Also, in lore, only Taurans and Dwarves are runemasters, and there are already enough limitations on race and class that involved players making the quote-unquote ugly characters. However, I would love to see runemasters somehow come back around at some point, maybe as an advanced spec for Monks. So, what is next for the Druids? Things seem pretty wide open, as the threats to the Emerald Dream were largely stopped once Nazoth was defeated and Xavius removed from the Emerald Dream back in Legion in the Emerald Nightmare Raid. It wouldn't surprise me if most of the Druid's story going forward is wrapped into the Green Dragonflight, as Isera is making her to return to Azeroth after being killed in Legion, with Malfurion offering to stay behind in Ardenweald as payment for reviving, quote, such a great and powerful soul, as the Winter Queen puts it. The Green Flights and the Druids have forever intertwined thanks to Cenarius and Isera, which we were reminded of starting this past weekend with the 18th anniversary in-game event and the return of the Nightmare Dragon Raids, which was a series of four world boss dragon raids found around at Emerald Dream portals all across Azeroth. Originally guardians of the entrances to the dream found in Duskwood, Hinterlands, and more, 
these green flight dragons became corrupted by the nightmare and for the longest time were a challenge and surprise for anyone foolish enough to wander into those areas where the big emerald portals were. In fact, early on in my days as a priest in Vanilla WoW, I stumbled across the portal found at the top of Duskwood, confused about why all of these other players were standing in front of this gigantic dragon that was just stomping around and seemed to be spitting off poison. Knowing how the pulling and loot system worked, I raced toward it in an attempt to tag the dragon before anyone else could, not realizing that the skull in place of where a mob's level is is meant to show that it is a boss. I got squished immediately and learned my first lesson, don't stand in front of a dragon unless you mean to kill it. And if you want to learn more about the druids and their background, where I would start, honestly, is uh, do the Legion questline in the Legion class hall order stuff, because as with all the classes, that's going to give you the best idea of what each individual class is all about. It gives you some really interesting history and characters from the past return, and at the very least, it gives you a unique mount to use with that class character, um, which is how I got, finally, a Frostbrood dragon for my Death Knight, finally, and it's got a coffin on the back, and it's super cool. Uh, so start there, and kind of just jump into it. Um, and if you're looking to know anything further, there's always Vanilla WoW, and you can level one. And a couple of months down the road, uh, do the world chain quests and see them for yourself. Or do what I've been doing recently and just run your druid through AQ 20 and 40 over and over and over to get all those spicy bug transmogs and make your druid look especially stupid. However, I did get a cool staff that kind of looks like a bug, so I will consider that a victory. Thank you for joining me for yet another fun and fact-filled episode of Essence of Azeroth. Next time... I have no idea. If we're being honest, the next episode is going to come out on release day of Dragonflight, and I'm still kicking around ideas. Are y'all tired of dragons yet? I was initially thinking about doing more dragon stuff, so we could cover more ground there, but I'm happy to turn another direction if any of our patrons have any ideas. And if you want to give me your ideas, don't hesitate to sign up for the Patreon. Did I do it again? Patreon? Patreon? I'm gonna I'm gonna have a note card on my on my monitor that just tells me how to properly say it. We're gonna, today we're going to go with Patreon. Sign up for the Patreon today. <laughs> There's still time to level up a tune on Asgalore and join the 14 or so of us in the Essence of Azeroth Horde Guild. So consider subscribing today and joining us by going to patreon.com forward slash Essence of Azeroth. Until next time, remember to Typhoon Alliance players off of any and all cliffs. Take care. Because these freaks think they can turn into cats! What's next, frogs? <laughs>